Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK. Chamat Sandu from Toronto in Canada. Looking back on a big card for MMA in this part of the world. In my part of the world. The part of the world that Sandu hails from. But he's, he's left us now. He's over in Canada. But he's still a Brit. This is the Brit Pack. We had a lot of Brits in action at the weekend. A mixed bag if you're looking at the results. But uh, a lot of incident to go through on this week's show. First off, Sandu, we've got to talk straight off the top. How nice was it? I don't know what it was like for you over in Canada, but man, it was a rare treat to actually get to watch a show at prime time. Prelim started at seven, main card started at nine. Everything was wrapped up. My report was filed. I kicked back and I looked at the clock and it was 11.30. It was absolute bliss. Loved it. Yeah, it, and I think everyone that tuned in, whether you are in Europe, in the UK, or anywhere in North America, you kind of had a good time. I mean, for me, it was I had lunch and then I started work, you know, and then I was completely done and finished by 7 p.m. my time. So I had my Saturday evening. I had my Saturday night. You know, me and the, me and the missus ended up getting some takeaway and watching a few movies. But normally Saturday night, yeah, I'm working till, you know, one, two, three o'clock in the morning. So, yeah, I think everyone was happy um, with the start time. We don't get it too often, and I have to give credit to the UFC because this was an event that was supposed to take place, you know, reportedly at the O2 Arena in London, and the UFC decided not to go ahead with that. You know, COVID protocols and regulations and things are still up in the air. We'll see if Bellator actually, you know, ends up hosting their events in Dublin and London in the coming months. But the UFC decided to keep it in the apex where it's a very controlled environment there in Las Vegas. All their team, operations, everything is so much easier for them to manage and control and roll out. They literally just need to you know, fly the fighters in as opposed to getting their staff and everyone out to various city and locations around the world. So, yeah, ended up working out. And like I said, credit to the UFC for making sure that the event was held in prime time for the UK public. Because, of course, it was absolutely littered with Brits up and down the card. It really was. You mentioned Bellator just very briefly. I was actually in contact with some of the uh, the European uh, PR guys for Bellator on my side of the pond here. And all signs are everything's going ahead. You know, we're talking to them about the possibility of media days and things like this, like in-person media days and stuff. So um, fingers crossed, touch wood, uh, rub the lucky heather. You know, stroke, stroke the rabbit's foot. Whatever it is you've got, uh, keep doing it because uh, all signs are pointing to Bellator London going ahead. And if Bellator London goes ahead, then fingers crossed we'll be able to make that short hop across the Irish Sea to one of the most atmospheric arenas in any any anywhere in the world for MMA, the three arena in Dublin for Bellator Dublin a little bit later in the year. That'll be Bellator 270. But before all of that, let's unpack this fight card. Some people who, if you weren't a UK fight fan, you might look at this and think, okay, it's a little bit tailored. It's a little bit aimed at the British market. Is this fight card going to deliver? My goodness me, it delivered. It was absolutely brilliant from top to tail. Stories up and down the card. Let's just rip through the whole card. Every single fight almost had a story behind it. Let's go top to tail. Start with the main event. Derek Brunson defeating Darren Till. Third round, rear naked choke submission. And uh, Darren Till really just didn't have an answer to Derek Brunson's wrestling. You know, we saw Derek Brunson come in with the Simon Phoenix dyed hair. And when he comes in with the Simon Phoenix dyed hair, he tends to look pretty good when he's when he's actually in the octagon as well. And uh, the form, I think that's five or six in a row for him now, looking really good. He made the call out of Israel Adesanya for a title shot. He may have to wait. He said he's quite happy to sit and wait because obviously Robert Whittaker's got dibs on the next the next fight with Israel Adesanya. It looks like that's going to happen either right at the end of this year or early next. But if we're looking at it from a, a completely uh, unbiased point of view, Derek Brunson turned up, showed up and put in an absolutely superb performance, did everything he needed to do to beat Darren Till, who one or two punches aside was really not in this fight. It was, it was one way traffic most of the way through. It really was. You've got to give credit to Derek Brunson, Simon, because the guy, since losing to Israel Adesanya in a pretty high-profile fight, you know, on a pay-per-view main card, UFC 230, has, you know, he lost that fight, and now he's put together a five-fight winning streak. 
you know, which if you think about his age, he's 37 years old. He's, you know, taken his skill to Sanford MMA, reinvented himself. He used to be kind of purely based um, on his wrestling and he's kind of mixed it up and he's much more well-rounded. He's much more tactical. And I mean, Jesus Christ, Simon, five fight winning streak, Elias Diodoru, Ian Heinish, Edmund Shabazian, who was supposed to be the, the next big thing, the prodigy, uh, the prodigy rather, Kevin Holland, who was just coming off an incredible 2020, and then Darren Till, easily and arguably the most high-profile fight on that five-fight win streak. Another main event for Derek Brunson, another win, and he's just inching closer and closer to a rematch with Israel Adesanya, if uh, Star Bender is obviously successful in his title defense against Robert Whittaker. Uh, but he's either knocking on the door for a title shot or he's perhaps one win away. You slot him into a number one contender fight with Jared Cannonier, something of that nature. And yeah, he kind of, um, you know, really took the wind out of everyone's sails. You know, I think everyone was kind of tuning in to see a, a big, a big night and a big performance from Darren Till. Uh, the British public in particular, but also I think over the last kind of year or so, 18 months, Darren Till, you know, using his social media platform has, you know, even though some of the stuff he puts out there, perhaps for some people is, is a little bit edgy, you know, he, he's got a, a fiery character, great personality. It's very much tongue in cheek. He, he tries to entertain and he's a, he's a funny character, but ultimately when you kind of parlay that into, you know, your, your combat sports career, your UFC career, Results matter. Results matter. And uh, unfortunately for Darren, results have not been going his way over the last couple of years. I mean, the, the two wins that kind of really stand out, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, which was, you know, could have gone either way. You know, it was that close of a fight in Liverpool. Kelvin Gastelum was uh, the real, you know, fight and, and victory that kind of started to kick off his career in the middleweight division. But, you know, since then, you know, a decision lost to Robert Whittaker now uh, last year, uh, but this one getting finished by Derek Brunson. I think Darren Till has a lot to think about, go back to his team to discuss and figure out what went wrong, how they can improve. Clearly, there was a massive wrestling advantage, and Derek Brunson displayed that time and time again until he got the finish. So, yeah, all the credit in the world to Derek Brunson. Darren Till is still just 28 years old, and as far as his MMA career goes, um, still young. I thought it was a great post where he put a picture of you know, Michael Bisping and Charles Oliveira, where they both stumbled um, numerous times before they ultimately, re you know, reached UFC championship status. So, you know, if anything, Darren Till can take some inspiration from that. Yeah, and uh, I think it was Michael Bisping. I saw a quote attributed to him suggesting that he might that Till might want to consider going back down to 170 pounds. I'll be honest. I don't agree with uh, Michael Bisping if that is what he said, because Darren Till could barely make 170 pounds. Like I was there in Liverpool, and that was that was not good to watch. He was in a right old state, and uh, he was in uh, I think it was Gdansk, Poland, where he fought Donald Cowboy Cerrone. Didn't look too too, uh, too great over there either. So even though he went and got that that huge win, uh, so I don't know if he moved down to 170 is really what's going to be what's going to be what's needed here also you take a look at these two most recent fights at 170 yeah he lost them both but he both lost he lost them both by stoppage as well so it's the stoppage defeats and especially if you're getting tko'd uh you know masvidal obviously putting him away here in london and you've had a bad weight cut these things don't add up and they don't add up to a good a good long career so I'd stay at 185. You take a look at those UFC rankings. I literally just pulled them up while you were talking there, Sandu. And you could argue Derek Brunson, stylistically, is the worst matchup. Brunson and maybe Jack Hermanson are stylistically the two worst matchups on paper for Darren Till. Israel Adesanya, striker. Robert Whittaker, striker. Paolo Costa, striker. Jared Cannonier tends to prefer to keep it standing. Marvin Vittori is an out-and-out brawler. Then you've got Brunson and Hermanson ahead of Darren Till, ranked, as we sit here right now, on a Monday night UK time, seventh in the UFC's uh, 185-pound division. So it's going to be tough. I mean, you've got the likes of Sean Strickland, Gastelum, Uriah Hall, Edmund Shabazzian below him. They're the sort of people, Chris Weidman, they're the sort of people who... 
he's likely to take on next. Maybe even Kevin Holland. The Kevin Holland-Darren Till match would not be uh, a terrible stylistic matchup. That would be an entertaining one to watch. But just looking at the rest of the division on paper, I think Till, A, size-wise, is in the right weight class. And B, you look at the 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 style of all of the fighters in his in in the division along there with him. He stacks up relatively well against most of them. Like you would imagine, he would be competitive against most of those guys. And I include the champion in that as well. I think Israel Adesanya versus Darren Till would be a great matchup stylistically, but it's against those guys who really have that top draw wrestling, the ability to get the the bout to the the uh, the canvas. That's when Darren has obviously had that had that problem and uh you know Derek Brunson really did dominate that fight on Saturday night. Before we move on to the co-main Sandu, let's match make where do you want Darren Till to land next in terms of matchup? And Derek Brunson, should he sit and wait for the title shot or should he maybe jump in there with a someone like a Jared Cannonier and uh just try and keep that try and keep that momentum rolling if he can. I mean, for Derek Brunson, he kind of basically said, hey, listen, I'm not broke. <laughs> you know, I can, get, you know, I'm happy to sit out and wait and see what the result of the Style Bender versus Whitaker rematch is. They're most likely going to fight early 2022. So if Brunson wants to wait until perhaps spring of next year and perhaps get that title shot in March or April, he could do that. It all comes down to the result of that title fight, though. And we spoke about Leon Edwards being in a similar position, right? I mean, Robert Whitaker could easily win. And then you know the UFC are going to do the immediate rematch and make that trilogy fight happen between him yeah. and, and Starla Bender, right? I think if if Brunson wants to stay active and just you know make it completely definitive that he should be getting the title shot next is maybe fight Jared Cannonier. Maybe even ask or see if the UFC can to lump you on the same card as you know, the Whitaker and Adesanya rematch. That would make a ton of sense because you're going to have a lot of media on that pay-per-view anyway. And both Cannonier and Brunson can use that opportunity to talk up um, an opportunity to fight the winner of the main event. So that's yeah. what I would do if I was the UFC with regards to Derek Brunson. But let's see yeah. how, you know, what he wants to do in terms of waiting out or, or fighting one more time. With regards to Darren Till, Simon... I think there's a few fights. I love the idea of of him fighting Kevin Holland uh, because I think, like you said, stylistically, it's perfect. You know, it's going to be, you know, a stand and bang affair there. I also like the idea of him fighting someone like a Sean Strickland. I think those are both winnable fights for him. I also don't really mind, even though sty stylistically, this could be, you know, a tougher matchup for him, in my opinion. The Jack Hermanson fight, they were supposed to fight. And it was almost like, you know, the the quote-unquote European middleweight championship, right? That's how I think everyone in the MMA community was kind of building it up. And yeah. when you think about the UFC coming to London, fingers crossed, uh, early next year at some point, that would make a lot of sense too, having Till and Jack Comanson on that card, whether it's a co-main event, it's a main event, you know, something of that nature. But I still think there's plenty of winnable fights for him in that middleweight division and certainly in that top 10 stars make fights and of course regardless of that you know like i said tills definitely has a lot of work to do when it comes to grappling takedown defense because you know when you come up against the elite in the division in that department like a Derek brunson it's going to be trouble but that's what i would do if i was uh brunson and, and till what about you yeah, I think I think Brunson versus Cannoneer is the fight to make unless Brunson really wants to sit and wait. The problem Brunson has in sitting and waiting is there isn't that huge clamour for him to face Israel Adesanya. As good as his win streak is, he just doesn't have that that groundswell of fan support behind him where he can really sit back and wait. Um, even someone like Colby, um, who is certainly not a fan favourite with, with everybody who watches MMA, he's a name that, that certainly draws attention. And he was able to kind of sit back and he eventually got what he wanted by being patient. But I don't know if Derek is really in a position to do that. I think he has to keep keep going and keep his foot on the gas. And if he goes and beats Jared Cannonier and he's got the game to do it, that would be a really good competitive fight, um, a real sort of coin flip fight. If he beats Jared Cannonier, then there really is no excuses. You know, he has to be in there for the belt next, I think. So um, we'll see how that one pans out. As for Darren Till, just stay at 85. Do not entertain moving back down to 170. Stay at 85. You've mentioned two or three matchups there. 
Um, I mean, you've even got Brad Tavares knocking around at 13. That would be a decent fight. Edmund Shabazian would be a fun fight. Two guys who love to stand and trade. Um, if you want to put him in with a former champion, Chris Weidman wants to move up. That would be a good fight for Weidman um, in, in so far as it's someone ranked a few places above him. For Till, it's a fight with name value. There's all manner of options there. Holland is the one that stands out to me, though. I think that's the one. I think Till is in a position now where, having lost a couple, he's now going to have to defend his position in the rankings rather than be the guy fighting up the rankings, trying to move himself into title contention. Fight again, win, and then you can start looking up again. But um, looking forward to seeing what happens next for Darren Till. But uh, his teammate, Tom Aspinall, Sandu, what a night for him. Got the co-main event. He was supposed to be uh, taking on Sergei Pavlyuchenko um, in the co-main event. And uh, Pavlyuchenko ruled out. And Sergei Spivak, the guy who Aspinall has called out at least two times, possibly three times after fights so far in his UFC career. Spivak steps in. And we've seen Spivak fight many times before. He is an awkward customer. He's very durable. He's kind of herky-jerky kind of style. He's kind of a difficult guy to, to sort of get the timing. And he's, he's very difficult to deal with in the cage. He's got that sort of um, sneaky pressure that he puts on you. Tom Aspinall barely got out of first gear. I mean, he put him away like he was some sort of scrub. It was, it was incredible. Aspinall looked every inch a heavyweight contender in this fight. He put him away like a guy who didn't belong in the octagon with him. That's, that's, that's how it looked to me. Now, and I know Tom Aspinall has said, I want to take things slow. I want to take things steady. And he's very wise in, in doing that and saying that. But you go in there and put people away like this. You submit a former UFC heavyweight champion in Andrei Arlovsky last time out. You go in there and put away Sergei Spivak, who is a very difficult customer. You're going to get big fights next. You're going to get big fights next. And I'm really excited for just how high the ceiling is for Tom Aspinall. He's got solid grappling and uh, but his hands are outstanding and he seems to have the right mentality and uh, that performance on Saturday really did show us just a little bit more of, of what we can come to expect for him as he moves up the rankings really excited to see uh, a British heavyweight you don't get too many but when we get them they tend to be pretty good you know in sort of you know normally it's boxing we've got one in MMA now Tom Aspinall looks like the real deal Simon, how exciting is the UFC heavyweight division now? You've, you've, you've had this kind of bit of a turnover. They let some of the big stars and the, and the big names, former champions, go. And, you know, Alistair Overeem, Junior DeSantos, and, you know, Andre Olofsky is still kicking around, but, you know, he's so, you know, so much older than the rest of the division. You've got that Mike Tyson scary power puncher of a champion right now in Francis Ngannou, who's got an incredible backstory uh, and his path to championship you know, is an all-time classic story. And then you've got just what I consider the next generation of heavyweights coming through a mixed martial arts, Cyril Gann, Tom Aspinall. I mean, Aspinall, he's got a fantastic jiu-jitsu game already, but hasn't really displayed it too much, especially in recent fights. He's a former sparring partner of Tyson Fury. He's got a pro boxing match under his, under his belt as well. Has now completely focused on MMA, and he looks like the real deal. I said it right after um, his performance. I thought, I said to myself, and I, and I tweeted this, I said, I think we're looking at a future heavyweight champion. I think we're looking at the first British heavyweight champion and only the second Brit to become a champion in the UFC as things currently stand. It's just, it's a, it's a thing of beauty, Simon. To see how guys like him and Cyril Gann have gone about their business their technical, their methodical, their their movement and their footwork is fantastic. They're light on their feet. They possess power. And, I mean, just those two fighting would be, you know, an incredible styles matchup. I can't wait to see those two go at it one day. But, yeah, super, super excited and happy uh, for, for Tom Aspinall. And, and like you said, he perhaps doesn't have, you know, the personality of a Darren Till or a Paddy Pimblett, who we're going to speak about a little bit later on. He's a little bit mild-mannered. But, you know... I feel like when momentum starts to get going, especially in the heavyweight division, it's very easy for the public and the fans to get behind someone and he's putting on performances the way he is. It's a breath of fresh air. I love it. And I also don't mind his kind of general attitude 
You know, he's not calling for a championship straight away or one of the, the big names in the top five. He's just like, listen, if I'm number 12, give me number 11. If I'm number 11, give me number 10. He is more than happy to one by one work his way up those rankings. All credit to him. And I love the fact that you got a $50,000 performance of the night bonus. You saw the social media clip. You saw what that meant to him, him hugging his dad. Obviously, you know, I've got my own feelings about these moments getting caught on, on social media. I feel like, you know, we talk about fire pay a lot and it just shows you what a 50 grand check means to these guys and girls. It's life-changing money. I wish it wasn't the case, but you can, when you see them just, you know, shedding tears and drop down to their knees, it's, uh, it's heartbreaking. Um, it's not something that I can personally champion on social media myself, too, which is why I don't personally like to share that kind of content. Uh, I just yeah. wish they were, you know, getting paid a lot more. But anyway, that's perhaps a different conversation for a different day. To bring this back to how we started the conversation, Simon, Tom Aspinall, let's get on this bandwagon. Let's get on this hype train. We are potentially looking at a future British heavyweight champion in the UFC. He's got all the tools. Let's see if he can do it. Let's see if he can go all the way. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard not to to get a little bit carried away watching him because you watch him fight and also I get a very similar sense watching someone like Jack Shaw, who we'll talk about later in, on in the show. You just think that what you're seeing in there is just the tip of the iceberg in terms of what they can produce. And Aspinall has barely gotten out of second gear so far in his UFC career. He's already ranked in the top 13. Um, I, I would assume he might get a little nudge up those rankings uh, a little bit later on today. They usually get adjusted a bit later on today, so we'll see whether he moves up a little bit. Um, he says he just wants the next guy up, like Blagoy Ivanov is currently ranked one space above him, but I think he can do a bit better than that. I, but I would, I would be more, I would be more likely to push him a little bit further up. I mean, we've got Walt Harris at eleven. That would be an interesting fight. Walt Harris is the only other guy in the UFC to finish Sergei Spivak, and he did it in like 50 seconds. He put him away really impressively. So you've got the two guys who finished Spivak going head-to-head. -head. That would make sense. That's not an enormous leap up the rankings for Aspinall. It's steady progression, which is what he wants. That might fit the bill. Chris Dorcas is another one. He's ranked 10th already. Um, I think Aspinall is the better prospect, but Dorcas is super tough, good everywhere. He's on his way up as well. That would be an interesting one. I mean, I'd, I'd still be tempted to keep them apart for a little bit and let them build. Then you've got Augusto Sakai. Martin Tabura is about to face Alexander Volkov. He'd, he'd have been the guy I would have picked. If I could have cherry-picked anybody for his next matchup, Martin Tabura, I think, would have been a really nice matchup for him. Well-rounded, well-seasoned, been around the UFC for a while and ranked solidly in the top 10. That would be a good one for him. But he's already... He's done... He's, he's, his dance card's already been uh, already been marked, so he's taking on Volkov next. So maybe Walt Harris, Chris Dorcas, Augusto Sakai, nine, ten, or eleven. Um, I'd like to see him in one of those three next. Um, you got any views on who he should be taking on next? I honestly don't mind Simon. All those options that you mentioned there are fantastic, and, and like I said, I don't mind him just going for the next guy that's perhaps beneath him in, in the, the rankings. The rankings haven't been updated. He was thirteen coming in. And so maybe he moves up one or two spots, given the fact that it was a replacement opponent and, um, you know, not anybody that was kind of, you know, ranked in the top 15 or anything like that. But like I said, I'm happy for him to go about his business. He doesn't need to go after the, the biggest names in the division. I think stylistically, you know, you, you, you match him up with the right guys and, and let him continue to build his momentum, get the experience, keep adding to his resume. I mean, like I said before, if he wants to fight again, maybe chuck him on at the end of the year. I do have a feeling, though, that UFC may want to keep some of these guys that are coming off wins this past weekend, Simon, and just keep them at bay until that potential London card early next year. There's there's yeah. no there's no point, right, in um, utilizing some of these fighters in a December card or a January card if you're going to London in February or March, you know, especially with all the momentum coming out this weekend for all the winners. You know, so maybe we don't see him again until that London card. That remains to be seen. But yeah, I mean, regardless, um, I think media broadcast partners and especially the local media in the UK, mm. if they if they weren't already, I think they're going to start to 
interview, create content around some of these big winners this past weekend. And, and maybe that's enough to kind of keep them in the limelight without actually competing again until that London card. Yeah, I mean, limelight is great, but limelight doesn't doesn't play the mortgage, does it? It could do, yeah. you know, if, if you're Tom Aspinall, that bonus is great because it takes the pressure off having to fight again so quickly. But for someone like him who wasn't really in there that long, you know, he didn't have, he didn't have to really work for his win. He, was, he came out relatively unscathed. He barely had a glove on him. Um, he could turn around relatively quickly if they wanted to do that. You know, he could he could fight in in sort of October November time and still be fresh for a March a March fight. So I don't know. All I know is he's on the way up. He, he walked out to Curtis Mayfield's moving on up, and he is doing very much that moving on up the UFC heavyweight division. Let's run through the rest of this card. Alex Morono defeated David Zavada. Alex Morono, every time he's on a fight card, watch the man fight because he is he is all action. He's a proper blue-collar guy and uh, did the business. Good fight against Zawada, who is very similar in fighting style, but Morono won all three rounds on all three scorecards. Unanimous decision win there. Prior to that, we had a light heavyweight fight that has brought up all sorts of discussion points on social media. Khalil Roundtree Jr. defeated Modestus Bukowskis, um, based in London, but Lithuanian-born, former Cage Warriors light heavyweight champion, had lost two straight going into this one, so he really needed a win here. And he looked very close to getting knocked out in the first round. Roundtree just could not miss Modestus Bukowskis early on. Bukowskis did an incredible job of surviving, had his nose completely smashed to one side. He could smell round corners by the time he got to his corner uh, after the first round. Came out for the second round and looked to be gradually getting a foothold in the fight. And then Roundtree hit him with one of the those nasty oblique kicks that we, we see talked about so often. But the actual impact of that is probably the most the most graphic that we've seen in a while. Uh, Bukowska's knee appeared to completely collapse uh, in on itself. The fight was very, very correctly waved off immediately. And uh, Bukowska's, I would imagine, is going to be out for a little while. He's going to need uh, knee reconstruction surgery, I would imagine. Uh, his, his nose could probably do with a bit of a fix while while they're at it, if I can get a bit of a, a bit of a bonus surgery on his, on his schnoz at the same time all would be well and he can come out looking as good as he did before he went in. But um, I don't know what that means for Bukowskis' UFC run. That's three losses in a row. Khalil Roundtree finally putting it together. He's got all the tools, Sandu, and he's just, for some reason, he's never been able to really do it. He's always, there's always been something missing when he fights like that. That man is a dangerous man at 205 pounds. But all the talk afterwards was about the oblique kick and whether it should be allowed. And we've seen, I saw fighters on both sides of the argument. So I'm saying it's a horrible technique. We don't do it in training. We shouldn't be doing it in fights. And there's other fighters saying, no, you know, it's in the rules. It's all good. Where do you stand on, on that debate? And what did you make of that matchup? Well, first of all, super unfortunate. And I feel for Bukowskis and, you know, losing three in a row, never good. Yeah. Uh, when you're in the UFC, especially when you're early in your career, and you and you know the final result ends up with you needing some surgery. You're going to be on the sidelines for quite some time. Give him all the credit in the world uh, for his uh, post-fight um, social media post, just kind of basically giving all props to to Roundtree and also Roundtree for going straight over to him behind you know behind the scenes backstage, just checking in on him to make sure he was okay and and what have you. So respect to both lads for how they handled the outcome of that particular fight. Simon, I have to say, I want more. Um, you know, I want, sorry, I want less leniency. Um, am I saying that correctly? Do I want less leniency or do I want more leniency when it comes to maybe, maybe I want more leniency when it comes to the fight game in mixed martial arts. I want more things to be allowed. You know, we've talked about things like the 12 to six elbow ridiculous, you know? Um, and unfortunately I know it's brutal, but I'm on the side of the argument where I want as much to go as possible when there's a fight on outside of obviously, you know, a kick to the groin and, you know, uh, fish hooking the mouth, eye pokes, things of that nature, everything else I, I think is fair play. And I think it's fair game. That's what we sign up for. That's the fight game. That's mixed martial arts. It's brutal. And the thing is, I don't think we've seen hardly any fights. I can't remember the last time I saw a fight end with an oblique kick, especially in the UFC. Yes, we've seen John Jones utilize them. We've seen many of the fighters utilize them. And on the flip side, go back and look at Robert Whitaker versus Israel Adesanya. 
Whitaker hit that. There's a great gif going on uh, Twitter right now, and it's basically Robert Whitaker attempting that oblique kick, but Israel Asanya, great defense, and then countered with a fantastic head kick. So mm. it all comes down to how you are able to utilize defense as you are trying to get around an opponent trying to throw an oblique kick like that. So yeah, as unfortunate as it is and as gruesome as a way that is to end a fight, I don't think it should be banned. I think it's, it should be here to stay. And like I said, I hope there's um, you know more leniency being incorporated into the rules of mixed martial arts to allow um, more attack um, options and more damage and things of that nature. Yeah, I think I understand why people kind of don't like it, but let me let me rather than give you just my my long-winded opinion on this, let me give you the opinion of someone who is far more qualified than me. One of the greatest trainers, one of the best trainers uh, on this side of the pond, Fernand Lopez, was uh, was obviously watching the fights live. Former coach of Francis Ngannou, current coach of Cyril Garn, the interim heavyweight champion. Posted on Instagram, he posted the clip of the of the uh, the kick in question, and uh, it was in French. So this is run through a translator. So this is this is not the smoothest of English, but bear with it. And and what he wrote was this: Guys, let's put the emotion aside and be a little rational. You do not realize, but you're in the process of validating a high kick to the head, high risk of concussion. Kick to the neck, high risk of carotid sectioning. You allow big middle kicks directly on the rib cage, straight ones directly above the heart with a high risk of cardiac arrest. You accept gloves with the possibilities of fingers in the eyes like Stipe, who almost lost his eye, or Bisbing, who lost his. And you find it very dangerous to have an, an oblique kick towards a knee. The knee, although it's a, a load-bearing joint, is, in my humble opinion, far from being a precious and noble organ like the brain, the heart, or the eye. I thought that was a really, really good explanation and put it in context of some of the other techniques that we get in MMA. This is the hardest sport in the planet. And we mm. understand that there are a lot of risks involved when you step in. And while it looks horrible to get kicked in the knee and have the knee bend in the opposite direction that it's supposed to go, in the grand scheme of things, it's pretty small beer. We've seen some horrible broken legs. We've seen... We've seen all sorts. We've seen all sorts. And, um, yeah, I understand why, you know, the visual of it is not great. But I tend to agree with what Fernand Lopez is saying. I agree with, with, uh, with the coach. And uh, I would, I would, I would leave, leave you with that as a, as a, a fair assessment of, of how I think that, that technique should be treated. So that's, that's that. We hope that Modestus, uh, uh, Modestus can get himself back to full fitness. We hope that he gets another shot in the octagon maybe maybe if he's fit by march next year that would be a pretty tight timeline i would imagine if he's had if he's going to need full reconstruction surgery on his knee but we'll see we'll see we wish the man all the very best as for khalil roundtree onwards and upwards big fights for him in the not too distant future i would imagine now sandu he may have been the first fight on that main card but this almost felt like the main event it certainly did to a lot of us on this side of the pond we've been waiting for this for so so long the ufc debut of paddy the baddie pimblet former cage warriors featherweight champion lost his belt to soren back moved up uh, sorry lost his belt um to nad naramani my apologies moved up to uh lightweight naramani meanwhile got called up to the ufc it looked like pimblet beats naramani he goes to the ufc he loses to naramani Naramani goes to the UFC. Pimnit then moves up to to lightweight and uh, doesn't quite manage to get the lightweight belt. He's defeated by Soren back in a fight that he came so close to winning in the first round. But he's, he's bided his time. He's been twice offered UFC opportunities. Twice he's turned them down saying he's not ready. Shades of Jimmy Manoa, who did did very similar earlier in his career before he eventually moved into the UFC and and, and had a great run at light heavyweight. Paddy now, he's in the UFC. He said to wait for his debut. And uh, it was supposed to be opening bout of the night in front of a packed O2 arena. Instead, it was at the UFC apex with about 25 nutcase British fans who'd somehow managed to get in. And uh, he went in there with Luigi Vendramini, got tagged early on. 
and then produced an absolutely superb finish. First round knockout, as predicted, 50G bonus, off and running, cuts a great promo at the end, has a dig at Instagram as well when he's uh, talking to Megan Levy. Every single box ticked. Paddy the Baddy is here, and it's been a long time coming, and I'm, I'm so here for it. And I'm, I'm delighted for him as well because he's waited his moment. He's had a lot of setbacks along the way, had to be very patient during the last 18 months or so to get those final fights in, to get him into that position. And uh, he's here. And I'm, I'm over the moon for him. Simon, I don't know if this is going to sound hyperbolic, but for me, that was one of the all-time great UFC debuts. I mean, it's such a shame it wasn't in front of a packed arena with thousands and thousands of fans, whether it be in Liverpool, England, or any arena, to be honest. Right? The walkout... The way the fight even went, I mean, he got rocked. He got rocked and he still came back all guns blazing. And everyone thought that his you know, key to victory was going to be to take his, you know, Luigi's back and, 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 and sub him. But he was just exchanging with him in a firefight and he got the best of it. And he knocked him out in the first round. You want to talk about winning with style points. Then the post-fight interview, people see... The scouts, you know, hear and see the scouts at attitude, the scouts at accent, the lingo, the personality, and the charisma is just oozing out of him. I mean, all round, you know, what a fantastic performance, a fantastic debut. The UFC, they do realize they've got a potential superstar on their hands right now. He was going viral. And, and like I said, I had a great time. It was fun. It's, it was entertaining, Simon. You know, for so long, we, we, we see these cards that are built and it's just, you know, event after event, they all look the same. Um, it's, you know, the fighters um, aren't really able to articulate themselves or express themselves or express their personality with their walkout gear. So all of that is same old, same old. And you see someone like this come out with it, the way he looks, his hair, the way he talks, you know, it's this all new to a lot of people. It's not new to people that grew up in the UK. It's not new to people that grew up watching Bama or Cage Warriors or, or followed the local circuit. But for the vast majority of people that were watching Paddy Pimblet and getting the experience of Paddy the Baddy for the very first time in the UFC at the top of this game, it you know, for me, I was looking at social media, everyone loved it. Everybody was enamored by it and everyone really was talking very positive about you know what they kind of witnessed. Yes, you can nitpick here and there, Simon. Was his chin a little bit high throughout the, the course of that first round? Yes. Are there things that he still needs to work on? Yes. But he's so young. You know, he's still young in the game. He just made his UFC debut. And, you know, I spoke to him before the fight, Simon, because he was having an absolute nightmare with Instagram. And, you know, they, they yeah. took it down and he was asking me for help. And I was trying to give him some advice on, on what I think he should do. He started a brand new account. I think this new account, Paddy the Baddy UFC, he actually opened it way back in 2019 as a kind of a plan B or a backup, but wasn't really mm. actively using it or posting on it too much. So his old account gets shut down. He reverts to this kind of you know backup account that he started back in 2019. He starts posting just a couple of weeks ago, and already, because of the result and the performance and everything else that happened, he surpassed the number of followers he had on his old account. B he surpassed how many followers Derek Brunson, the main event winner and a UFC veteran had. And listen, is everything in life all about the number of Instagram followers? No. But is that a UFC metric that the, the guys in the back and the execs look at? Let me tell you, yes, it is. Because that's where we're trending towards. What are you bringing to the table as a fighter? How can you promote your fight? How can you promote our event? How many eyeballs can you get on our content and, and, and your fight? And how can you promote? And also, by the way, there are so many limited you know, sponsorship opportunities for these fighters in the UFC system that outside of that, having a big social media following, especially on Instagram, is actually a very important tool for them to actually generate revenue and get sponsors. Uh, and, you know, you're only fighting two, three, maybe if you're lucky, four times a year. So mm. what are you doing outside of all of that time? It's a platform for you to tell your story and um, to get across messages and, and, and work with brands and, and what have you. So 
I'm just blown away. I'm super happy for him, Simon. Uh, I can't wait to see him fight again. I don't think we're going to see him fight again until the U- the UFC returns to England. I, I've got a feeling that it's going to be the O2 Arena. They've got a, a relationship with the O2 Arena, which is absolutely fine. But Jesus, I would love it if they just the called Audible. Just go to the Echo, you know, go to Liverpool. Um, and, you know, you can have Paddy on the card. You can have Molly, all the other Brits. You know, it'll be a great bounce back event for Darren Till, you know, to, to get that home support. Yeah, But yeah, anyway, we'll, we'll you know, talk about that when the time comes. But right now, like I said, don't want to sound too hyperbolic, even though I probably am sounding very, very hyperbolic. But let's go, Paddy the Baddy Pimblet. This is exciting times. It is. And he's got that sort of larger than life character that people will either, will either gravitate towards or they'll push back against. You know, and the fact that he got clipped in that fight, I know this might sound a little counter counterintuitive. The fact that he got clipped in his fight will only make him more marketable because in the in the eyes of some people, the guy has holes in his game. The guy is vulnerable. Look at him. He got clipped, blah, blah, blah. If that had been someone else in there, maybe that, you know, that, that, that would have been a knockout. You know, that's what that's what people will be saying. But this is. Only he's only 26 years of age. He's had so much experience fighting under a relatively intense spotlight over here in the UK for Cage Warriors, where he's been a star for sort of three, four years, if not longer. And yeah, he's got the fan base and he's got that personality. He's got a very unique look for MMA. He was described as looking like a young Owen Hart, which I thought was absolutely spot on. I thought that was a great, a great, a great bit. I can't even remember who said it, but there's someone on social media. So he looked like a young Owen Hart, which I thought was absolutely superb. Daniel but Cormier. There you go. The guy can fight. The guy can fight. And I said it leading into the fight. Unlike so many Brits, when they jump to the UFC and it's mostly striking. They come from a striking background. Their skill set is all centered on their striking game. Paddy, his skill set largely centered around his grappling game. But as we just saw, the guy can bang as well. And he's got a fight IQ. Yeah, there's some rough edges that will need need sort of shaving off his game. And, you know, he needs to tuck his chin. and all. He'll know that. He doesn't need idiots like me and you going on podcasts telling him. He, he knows all of this. And he will be a better fighter for every fight he has in the octagon. And I, you know, I'm not going to turn around and say this guy's the next UFC lightweight champion or anything like that, but he is going to be an absolute phenom for the UFC. We saw what Conor McGregor did for Irish MMA and the groundswell of support. And the fact that McGregor supporters would travel the world to watch him fight, make no mistake. When it comes to the Liverpool fighting fans in particular, they will travel to watch him and, just wait till he headlines an event or co-main events, uh, a big arena event in the UK. He should be the co-main event next time he fights if he's in the UK because he's not likely to be fighting ranked opposition second second fight in the UFC. So to put him in the main might be a bit of a stretch. Co-main event, though, what a fight. Put him in there with anybody at 155. I mean, God, there's other Brits you could stick him in there with, you know, um, at 155. There's, there's, it's the one division where you've got so many options. And... Paddy will take, as he said, I'll take the roof off the gaff, and he absolutely will. I cannot wait to be at cage side in an arena, in a big, big, big arena when Paddy makes his walk. It's going to be something pretty special. And um, we've got a lot of Brits who are doing pretty well in the UFC right now, some of them making their way up. And you mentioned it a Liverpool card, Tom Aspinall trains in Liverpool, Darren Till, Liverpudlian, Molly McCann, Liverpudlian. Paddy the Baddy Pimlet, but then you could chuck the likes of Leon Edwards in the mix as well, who, you know, arguably is our best, best fighter right now, even though they were hailing Till as the biggest star from the UK. For me, Leon Edwards is the best fighter from the UK right now. And uh, I almost felt like he was kind of, you know, he, I thought he deserved a few mentions on the side because he's out, he's our best guy right now. Um, and, you know, who knows, who knows what's going to happen with him next, but yeah. We've got a lot to be excited for. And that debut from Paddy gets the bonus as well. Uh, it was a good night at the office and it was great to see. And everyone's buying in. It's absolutely fantastic. And one of the side notes to that, Sandu, was his teammate, longtime friend, fellow former Cage Warriors champion and fellow bonus winner from Saturday, Molly McCann. 
she ran out from the back. I think she was doing an interview at the time. And then she finished the interview, ran out to see Paddy fight and was going absolutely nuts at cage side. There's social media video flying around. I think Brendan Fitzgerald has got a great video because he was sat right there. Um, and uh, she was sort of gesturing at the camera at the time and all the rest of it. They're a family and you can see it. And it was, it was, it was just great to see. But her, her fight with Ji Young Kim got fight of the night. She got the 50 G bonus again, social media video of her in, you know, very emotional to get the, res you know, to get, get, get the message through, but her back was against the wall a little bit, Sandu in that fight. Um, she certainly was. You, yeah. You know, it was, it was a big fight for her and she went in there with someone who had the height advantage, the reach advantage. She went in there, got it done. And I could not be happier for her because she is one of the, one of the just sweetest people in the sport. And she just did the job superbly. It was the last fight on her contract, Simon. And you could tell the way she ended, especially the last 90 seconds to the minute of that third round. She was just like, I'm going to leave it all in here. I'm going to leave it all in the cage. And she was literally, you know, calling uh, to, 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 to square off in the middle. Let's meet in the middle. Let's stand and bang and let's see what happens. And all credit in the world to her because it was, you know, it was exciting. It was fun to watch. And she closed the show. She got the result. She got the $50,000 performance of the night bonus. Again, another video that was doing the round on social media. You could tell what it meant to her, what that money means. Again, I hate to keep bringing this up, but you, you, know, you have to take that with a bit of pill that fighters don't get paid enough, you know, nowhere near enough. And, but you could tell what it means to them. You could tell what it means to them. And you know, it's life-changing money. And she was breaking down in tears when she got that call. And I'm I'm super happy for her. I hope the UFC reward her with a brand new contract because, like we've been speaking about, Simon, the UFC are going to come to England next year, right? Most likely in uh, in London. Who knows? We may even get two cards next year. It'd be great if we got a London card and perhaps even a Liverpool card. Regardless of whether it's one or two, whether it's Liverpool or London, you want fighters and characters like Molly McCann on there. She brings an energy. She's got you know a loyal fan base. She's part of that next gen gym. She's you know obviously best friends, almost like a brother sister relationship with Paddy Pimblett. Um, he's got a bit of stroke now in the UFC. I'm sure. I'm sure he can like you know get get a call into Dana White and say, hey, listen, you know you need to keep Molly in the UFC as well if you want to have a good relationship with me, son. Um, so yeah, so I think you know she did a, she did a great job. She did what she had to do. Most importantly, get the win, get the result. And, um, you know, she I, I know she's been, you know, dealing with some knee issues um, and hopefully she can get that resolved, whether it requires surgery or not. But it was good matchmaking on the UFC's part, a good performance from Molly McCann. Hopefully she can kick on from here, get better, get that new contract, keep improving uh, because characters like Meatball, especially in, in the women's side of the roster, uh, they're few and far between. And she definitely kind of brings, uh, you know, a real nasty but fun energy to the fight game love to see it yeah and you know she she's always fun to watch she's an incredible role model and uh you know she represents her her community fantastically she represents her city fantastically um she's the, she's the first british woman to win inside the ufc octagon and uh you know she's an absolute star to deal with and um i think the ufc would be absolutely nuts to let her go, especially after a performance like that. I think she's the sort of person who, you know, the UFC matchmakers would probably look at her and say, we're going to keep Molly around. We're going to put her on some fight cards because she always delivers. And uh, it really was great to see her get that win and then see her coming out and supporting Paddy in the very next fight was uh, was just a little bit special as well. That wasn't the only other British win of the night. We had Tom Aspinall, we had Paddy Pimlet, we had Molly McCann. But kicking off for the UK it was Jack Shaw who was in there with uh, Ludwig Shalinian in a bantamweight matchup. Jack Shaw extends his professional record to 15-0. and 0, And again, cruising, just cr absolute cruise control against Shalinian. Literally the only, the only minute hole you could pick in his performances that he didn't get finished. That's it. That's literally it because he was dominant from start to finish. He's technically proficient everywhere. Michael Bisbing's throwing out GSP references. And uh, this man has got such a high ceiling at bantamweight. Again, it's another one of those weight classes where there is just so much talent. 
There is no need for him to be pushed super fast. Let him let him grow nice and steadily. I think there's more scope for that than say Tom Aspinall, where you know there isn't too much else above him before you start hitting the big names. I think Jack Shaw can can keep chipping away incrementally, and um, I'm I'm super super excited for what might be in the future for Jack Shaw because for me he's the real deal at 135 pounds, and that was a dominant performance all three rounds all three scorecards and uh yeah not too much else to say other than he is the man at 135 pounds in this part of the world simon he is so composed in yeah. there he looks like he's had 30 or 40 pro fights under his belt 15 and 0 in mma now 4 and 0 in the ufc undefeated the difference between him and tom aspinall in terms of how they progressed as quickly as they have over the last couple of years is bantamweight is so stacked. It's like you can't even compare it to the heavyweight division. There are just you're swimming with sharks there. You know, it, it's this complete list of of it's a murderer's row. It really is, especially when you kind of get into that that top ten former champions, current champions, top contenders, and it's exciting again to get behind a Brit who we feel like can you know really stand his own against a lot of these guys and he's only getting better and better and you know he talked about the fact that he's had a bit of a bicep injury um and and that may have played a part in his performance and the fact that he still got a clean sweep across the board while he was carrying an injury this goes to show you know what is he capable of you know one once he's 100% fully fit again i think you save him you keep him um, along alongside all the other brits that won on, the, on this card um for that you know london or liverpool you know whatever uk event we get early next year and he continues to improve he's the right age he's just again an exciting guy to 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 follow and i think he's starting to make that switch from prospect to someone that can legitimately start to climb the ladder in that top 15, top 10. I think if he can start to get some names, Simon, and get some opponents that can help him crack into that top 15, then we're in business. Then we're starting to talk about, right, how many fights does he need to win and how many fights does he need uh, to to get under his belt until he can start to kind of, you know, start to climb his way to a title shot. Again, title shot is very, very soon, uh, or too soon right now, but... Look at his resume. Look at his performances. Results matter. The lad keeps winning. He hasn't lost yet. Very excited about Jack Shaw. Yeah, and that oh, was against... Oh, and his... By the way, Simon, can we yeah. get some more Oasis? He is literally the, the one guy in the yes. UFC roster that is flying the flag for Oasis music. We need more Oasis entrance songs, please. Yeah, I saw, I saw you and me within about five seconds of each other both tweeted it on, onto the... Onto onto the hashtag, you know, the uh, UFC Vegas 36 hashtag, just celebrating the fact that we were getting some Oasis walkout music. It was, it was, it was a thing of, a thing of beauty and we need more of it, please. Cause every single track you could pick there, it would be an absolute yeah. banger. But I mean, hell our intro theme here on the Brit pack is uh, a YouTube rendition of uh, fucking in the bushes, which is an absolutely, which would be a dynamite walkout song. I've heard it yeah. before. I think Rob Broughton, walked out to it in london once and i remember dana white tweeting what is this music is awesome i never like he just got flooded with responses going it's oasis mate it's oasis you know but um yes i'm with you 100 on that that jack Shaw fight also it was his second change of opponent for that date he was supposed to face saeed namagomedov maybe they rebooked that one for his next fight who knows uh namagomedov was pulled out um off the card he had visa issues couldn't get over to to las vegas then he was going to face uh, Zviad Lazishvili, who I think is a former LFA champion. He was then removed from the car because he was injured. And then Ludwig Shalinian, who was on the recent tough season, he was drafted in uh, as a very, very late replacement and uh, did himself did himself uh, no harm at all. Went in there and, and hung in there with Jack Shaw for three rounds. All credit to him. But yeah, Jack Shaw doing the business. Just to round out the final two fights on the card, Julian Arosa against Charles Jourdain. As expected, that was a really fun fight. Arosa getting the third round Darce Choke submission to uh, to pick up the victory there. And the first fight of the night was uh, Mark andre Barrio, the power bar, as he likes to call himself, getting the win over South Africa's Doucha Lunjambula 
in the uh, the very first fight of the night. That was a unanimous decision, 29-28, 29-28, 30-27. And that was UFC Fight Night 100 and was it 91? 191 this past weekend. The bonuses went to Molly McCann and Ji Young Kim for Fight of the Night, Tom Aspinall, and of course, the baddie, Paddy Pimlet, cashes a $50,000 bonus for his first performance in the UFC. The first of many, I expect. What a great night, Sandu. Absolutely superb. And uh, on, a, on a weekend where not a huge amount of MMA going on, all eyes were on that card. And the Brits, in the main, did the business. It was great to see. It really was, Simon. Um, we don't get these kind of cards that often where it's kind of almost like the UK versus the world in many respects. And yes, Darren Till in the main event, currently the most charismatic, biggest superstar out of the UK, um, didn't get the result. But... We got the debut of Paddy the Baddy Pimblet, someone that everyone should be really excited about. In addition to that, a lot of prospects who are starting to really, you know, make a name for themselves with results and performances, which ultimately is the, the thing that matters the most when it comes to performances in the UFC. It was a great, great time, great time uh, for, for UK fans, UK MMA fans. It was a great time in itself that people were able to enjoy in prime time on BT Sport back in the UK. So all round, it was a win for, you know, for, for us and for the fighters and for media and for anyone that works. And yeah, it'd be nice if, you know, I don't know, three or four times a year we can get cars like this. So let's see if the UFC does it. But um, like I said, I get I tip my cap off to them. Credit to them for, you know, moving the, the event from the scheduled place, which is supposed to be London, to Las Vegas, but making sure the schedule of the bouts were taking place so that everyone back home can enjoy it in prime time. Yeah. I kind of put out a jokey tweet saying there are all these great fights that we'd just seen. And I'm like, I don't know about you. I just think it's, it's all to do with this early time slot. We need to do this. Like from now on, all fights should be taking place at this time. And it's got nothing to do with the fact I'm over here in England whatsoever. Not much, but um, yeah, anything that doesn't need me to stay up till 6am would be lovely. Just to very, very quickly wrap up, there was some other MMA knocking around. Running at the same time as the UFC, which was a bit unfortunate, KS, uh, KSW 63. I nearly called him KFC again. I did that a few shows ago. KSW 63, Roberto Soldich, one of the most dangerous men in the world outside of the big two promotions in the States. Welterweight champion, climbed to 19-3 and three with a third-round TKO finish of Patrick Kinsel to retain the KSW Worldweight title. That in itself is all, all fine and dandy. What happened after was the bigger story. He legged it out of the cage and had a very long conversation, very respectful-looking conversation, with Mamed Kaladov, probably the biggest star in KSW, their middleweight champion. And uh, it looks to me as if we're going to get Roberto Soldic, Robocop, against Mamed Kaladov, champion versus champion, at some point, maybe later this year, maybe early next year. If that gets booked, do not miss that fight. That will be absolutely outstanding. So that took place in Warsaw, Poland. Uh, Soldic beating Kinsel in the main event. Uh, we also had the one championship. Uh, Atomweight Women's Grand Prix was up and running this past weekend. Uh, one Empower was an all-female card, top to tail, all the way through. Uh, Zhang Jingnan, the strawweight world champion, defeated uh, multiple uh, BJJ world champion Michelle Nicolini to retain her strawweight title. Uh, unanimous decision. And uh, all four quarterfinal matches in the Atomic Grand Prix all went to a decision. Sohi Han beat Denise Zambuanga. Stamp Fairtex beat Aliona Rasahina. Ritu Fogat beat Meng Bo. And my tip, Itsuki Hirata beat Elise Anderson. So, that's your that's your one championship wrapped up. Although Sohi Ham's win over Denise Sambuanga is currently being reviewed. Uh, there's a bit of contra a bit of controversy over that split decision. So that pretty much wraps us up, I think, Zandu. It certainly does. For anyone that wants to support the show, the best place to do that is the BritpackMMA.com. That is our website, the BritpackMMA.com. From there, you can find us on social media both the, the show handle, my handles, Simon handles. Uh, if you want to give us a follow on social media, we're fairly active pretty much day in, day out. This is a 24-7 support, and we are 24-7 on social media. And we are available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you do want to support the show in terms of getting it you know, 
I guess, found better on Apple Podcasts, rate and review us. That's just how Apple Podcasts work. The more ratings and the more reviews podcasts get, Apple and the algorithm looks at that and starts to promote those shows. So there you go. That's a simple way for you guys to help us and support the show. 30 seconds are all it takes. If you can do that, that'd be much appreciated. Great stuff. Great stuff. Great to see the Brits in action. Great to see so many of them on the winning side of things. Uh, fingers crossed we see Modestus Bukowskis back fit and back in the UFC at some point in the future. Fingers crossed we see Darren Till back in there and back to winning way soon. And uh, onwards and upwards for all the rest of the Brits who picked up big wins on Saturday night. Enjoy a week off. We've not got too much coming up this past week. Bit of a gap week coming up this weekend. But then we're going to be back again to preview a doubleheader weekend. We've got the UFC and we've got Bellator, including the long-awaited debut of one Yoel Romero, who takes on Phil Davis in the main event of Bellator 266. That'll be big. We'll preview that on next week's show. But until then, enjoy the week, and we'll speak to you in a week's time. Yeah.